father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 192 with Andy Cower. Andy Cower has been coaching and refereeing, officiating basketball for 38 years, 32 of those as an NCAA official. He has officiated numerous Georgia high school state championship and semifinal games. His full-time employment is as a State Farm Insurance Agent in Milledgeville, Georgia. He's also the GHSA Basketball Liaison, as well as the GHSA Swimming Coordinator. Coaches, today, Andy's going to give us a great perspective on basketball officiating and really officiating in general. Uh, What is the trend now with officials in today? Are we gaining officials or are we losing officials? Uh, What are some things that we can do better as coaches to connect better with referees? Um, Also, he's going to talk about sportsmanship in the game. What is some of the issues on why basketball officials um, are not as numerous as they were in the past? So he's going to kind of get really kind of detailed on what we can do as coaches to help officials out what, how we can gather and gain more better officials in our profession. Because without officials, we can't have games. So officiating is a huge part of athletics, particularly here in Georgia and around the state. So he's going to give us some great insight. And let's welcome Andy Cowart.
Hey, Andy. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good, good. Hey, uh, I appreciate you joining me today, man. What a great honor. Hey, glad to be with you. I'm not very technically oriented, so had some <laughs> difficulties, but finally figured it out. Yeah, it's funny. Most of my coaches say the same thing. So, hey, you yeah. just fall right in line to all these great coaches. Um, well, <clears throat> I've never been really the technical type, but I know enough just to be dangerous. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Um, I know right now there's so much um, so much stuff going on right now in sports and everything, and um, – you know, with the pandemic and everything, but I really want you to share with us today some insights into your experiences and uh, basketball officiating and officiating in general. Uh, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, and how you kind of got involved in the sports and how that led you to what you're doing now. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up in a small town in South Georgia called Helena. Uh, it's uh, in Telfair County. It's a very small town and went to high school at Telfair County High School and was the normal sports person through high school. Um, I actually was a division one swimmer at Georgia Southern University back in the 70s, uh, long, long ago, many pounds ago. <laughs> and uh, I was a reserve on the basketball team. I was never very good at basketball. Um, I was just, you know, average at most sports, but I excelled at swimming. I went off to college, got out of college, went into the teaching profession and realized I needed another source of income. And a friend got me involved with basketball officiating uh, after the first two or three times I did it, I swore I would never do it again. <laughs> um, I was uh, totally fish out of water, didn't know what I was doing. But things progressed, and you learn more, and you <clears throat> learn how to officiate. And it became, um, after a year or so, year or two, it became a passion of mine uh, to get better. And as it is with most officials. And so it turned out that I went to some college camps and got hired in some different leagues and colleges, all while I was doing high school basketball. And it turned into a 38 year career. Uh, 32 of those, uh, I officiated high school basketball for 32 years and also the NCAA level for 32 years. It was, you know, those, those years, a lot of them I did both levels. Uh, worked many, many high school state championship games, semifinal games, all levels uh, for the Georgia High School Association. Um, it's been a, a great career, and I retired totally from officiating in 2016. Um, it uh, was one of the things where I still wanted to stop officiating when I was still pretty good. Uh, I felt like I was pretty good, but I just couldn't run anymore. I just, uh, my knees were habitually giving me a problem. I spent more time in the training room than I did on the court. Seems like <laughs> just trying to get over the knee pain. But all was well. It all went good. And um, now I help the Georgia High School Association in several 
ways. One of them is as a basketball liaison. And the other is uh, the swimming coordinator for Georgia High School, which kind of falls in line with me being a Division One swimmer. That's the way it all came about. Um, I am um, I'm enjoying what I do. Um, I help them with any number of things from camps, organization, rules training, camps and clinics, anything that I need to do, uh, administration of the postseason. Um, Ernie Yarborough is the coordinator of basketball for Georgia High School and the assistant executive director. And I follow his lead, uh, whatever he asks for me to do. Uh, I'm glad to assist him with that. So that, Kevin, is kind of in a nutshell my history and, and how I came to be where I'm at. Yeah, and I love that. And not only that, Andy, you're, um, you have your own office, State Farm Insurance. So you're a bit, you know, you, you have a lot going on, don't you? I really do. And that's why I'm, um, I'm adamant when um, I work with officials and so forth. Uh, if you text me or you call me, the first thing you need to do is identify yourself and say what you're from because I've got any number of different types of calls from insurance to uh, other things that I, I work on and in basketball. So you need to kind of head me in the right direction so I can get my train of thought right uh, before I actually speak to you. So that's the big thing for me. But yes, I am I'm a busy guy. I stay busy. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned Telfair. Uh, they have a nice little girls basketball program out there. They're always competing for state championships. I know that. Um, also, uh, I, I had you referee many, many of my games and so forth. I always followed you. Uh, I always consider you one of the best, Andy. So that's why I love having you on this podcast to kind of share with us. Who are some of the mentors that you you just say, hey man, I, I want to be a ref like that guy. That guy, he just does it the right way. Was there anybody out there who kind of helped you along the way? Well, yeah, th- there was. There were any number of guys. Um, the guy that actually um, got me into officiating, like I said, I, I need to find another revenue stream. Back when I got out of college, was a guy named Lowell Russell, and. Um, Lowell was actually the best man in my wedding back in 1982, so I have good thoughts with him, and he got me started in it. Um, there were a couple of gentlemen that were part of a high school association in Macon. Uh, one of them was Eddie Bryant, and one of them was Bill Finch, and they helped teach me how to officiate. Uh, there were a couple coaches along the way that were um, – not afraid to have a young guy work some pretty big games for them. Um, One of them was Don Richardson. Uh, Most people knew him as Duck. And then there was uh, Walter Johnson at Northeast and Randy Brown at at, uh, Central. So they helped me along the way. And, you know, as I started moving up and um, into different levels of officiating, uh, there were some people that were influential all the way. Uh, one guy was Bruce Bell. Um, um, another guy was Ron Groover. Uh, there's been a number of guys that have helped people. And officials typically, uh, they like to see success in other officials most of the time. 
and so they're willing to offer their expertise and and help people out along the way. So I've certainly had some some great mentors. Um, Ernie Yarborough with the Georgia High School office was a basketball official. Also, we worked many, many, many games together, and he's been a real asset to me, a real uh, and a real personal friend. Yeah, and uh, obviously you learn from you know I can't think of any officials better than um, than Andy Cower, but uh, you obviously you obviously must have learned from some great ones. Hey, talk about this. I was reading some articles to, to get prepared for this, and uh, about qualities of a great referee. And I know you have that classified, Andy. What are some qualities that you have for a great referee? What What are some intangibles or or things that you look for in a referee? You know, um, at the college level, most of the time, well, almost, um, in fact, all the time, uh, you're being evaluated by uh, an evaluator in the stands, and you're also given an evaluation typically by coaches. And one of the greatest things that, that coaches, or what I felt like would say about me, is that I have no ego. And I don't. I, I, I want to get the plays right. But I, in the process of doing that, I never tried to embarrass anybody. I never tried to embarrass a coach, no matter how they may treat me. I just felt like it was important to um, maintain, my abil- maintain my professionalism in dealing with coaches. And I always did that. And I always referred to them as Coach Smith or Coach Furtado. I never said their first name. I wanted to remain on a professional level with them. And I think they sensed that. I think they knew that I was just doing my job. That's all I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to favor one team or another. I was just trying to do my job impartially and do it in the best way possible. And that included never embarrassing another player, another team, or anything like that. So that's that's a a great feature to have as an official in another was just the ability to get along. You know, just because you have on the striped shirt doesn't make you Mr. Know-it-all on everything there is about basketball. Every time I went out and officiated, I learned something. Um, but I did the best that I could do. And I, you know, I did know the rules. I knew the rules. But there are lots of things in officiating don't have, that don't have anything to do with the rules. I mean, they have the, to do with uh, doing the right thing. Uh, being a good person. And I felt like I was pretty good at that, Kevin. Yeah, it, it's definitely a people business. And I think um, uh, I, I think I think the ones that struggle, right, they just don't know how to deal with people. Is that, is, is that simple? It, there's a lot of that. Um, I, I run into a lot of uh, younger folks now that, uh, yeah, they're from the, have it instantly kind of society that we grew up in now and they think instantly they should be working the top games within a regular season or working all the way to the state championship and there are some young folks that I've encountered lately um, that are very talented and that talent shows through and they have progressed up quickly uh, because that but not everybody but there's a lot of people that think that they just should be working the biggest game of the year as a second or third year official. It just doesn't work that way. Um, that's one of the disappointing things about this process is that uh, people come into it, young folks, 
And I think the average stay for someone that's brand new now is about three or four years. And three or four years is really just kind of average on the fast track of getting to a varsity level schedule. I think people get discouraged because of that. I also think people get discouraged, excuse me, because of the lack of sportsmanship that is uh, shown today on the basketball courts by players and by fans, parents, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, talk about another good quality is hustle. Because the one thing I remember from you is you were always hustling into position. I don't see that. I see that at the uh, in the playoffs where you have, probably have a little better quality, I guess. Um, hustle is a big component of success, right, in officiating? Absolutely. Uh, if you're not in the right place, then your chances of getting the play right are diminished severely. So you got to be in the right place to view the play the right way. That's what we always talked about. Um, I don't want to, to move just to be moving. Uh, it's called moving with a purpose. And that purpose is to get in the correct position. And just statistics show that if you're in certain positions during certain placements of the ball, your probability of getting the play correct to uh, go up. So, Getting in the right position is, is, is paramount in this business. Plus, being able to hustle, being able to show that I'm hustling, I'm working hard, I, I, I just promotes an atmosphere of, hey, you want to get the plays right. You right. want to get the, the, the plays correct. We had a training seminar um, this past Saturday at, a, uh, at one of our GHSA developmental training programs. Um, and we, it's all about officiating. This had to do with basketball officiating. And I was talking about talent and, and officials that are, are more talented than others just because of that's who we are. We're made up that way. Some people are just more talented. Uh, I'm not a very talented singer. I like to sing, but I... I can't sing very well because I don't have any talent. <laughs> I realize that and stay away from it. But somebody asked me, well, what, what is basketball talent? I said, well, it's the ability to see a play, let's say a traveling play, okay? It's the ability to see that and recognize that it is or it is not a travel and, you know, show that decision. However, if it's a travel, Raise your hand, give the traveling signal, and so forth. If it's not a travel, you do nothing, just pass on. That's a talent of being able to determine, distinguish what is and is not a travel. Uh, some people are good at that. Some other people not so good. And that is basically judgment based on advantage-disadvantage, right? Well, we, we, we've gone away from advantage-disadvantage, and advantage-disadvantage really doesn't happen in a violation situation. That was more referred to in fouls. Okay, yeah. Uh, let, yeah. Me explain, let me explain this. Is that a travel is a travel is a travel. And whether or not the travel didn't mean anything, that's not you to say. Uh, travel is a travel. It's kind of like stepping on a boundary line. If you step on a boundary line, you know, as an official, are you saying, well, he didn't mean to do it? Doesn't matter. 
uh, he stepped on the boundary line. I'm talking about boundary line while he's in possession of the ball, while he's a ball right. handler. Not just a person stepping on but a, a ball handler. And that's still a violation, so you had to call this violation. The advantage-disadvantage came into where uh, contact occurred, and that's more or less been changed over in the rule book because we all know this. In a basketball game, there is going to be some contact between um, team A and team B, uh, opponents. And, but not all contact is a foul. So what we want to rule on is illegal contact, contact that's not legal. That is determined as a foul. Years ago, they went by the adage of that, okay, illegal contact that provides an advantage or disadvantage is a foul. I think what they were referring to was that they used that advantage-disadvantage to determine whether the contact was illegal or not. Right. The rule book has become more specific about this kind of contact is illegal, this kind of contact is legal. And that's what we try and go. We want to go with what the rule book says. I love that. And you I think you mentioned this before, Andy, um, consistency, because um, I think that's important. We, we all the coaches, that's all we ever say. And a lot of times, you know, we're not consistent ourselves. But what does consistency mean in official? Um, like kind of plays with like kind of results. Uh, if you've got a let's use this one because it, it happens so much on. On one end of the court, you've got a block charge, and you rule it as a charge. One official rules it as a charge, and by all interpretations between all the officials, all three that are there, yeah, it's a charge. It's a charge. So we go with the charge. If you see a similar play on the other end of the court involving the other team, it should be ruled a charge too. Sure. By the same token, if you rule – if, if an official rules on one end that it is a charge, and in fact, he's got it wrong. Now, they're not going to change that ruling. That doesn't mean you come on the other end and make it another incorrect ruling just because it was one on the other. Don't want to do that. You know, officials, I'm not here to tell you, officials make mistakes, okay? that They do. They make mistakes. Now, the good officials are the ones that limit those mistakes, and also, the good officials are the ones that realize they've made a mistake and don't let that ruin the rest of the game. Don't be so focused on, hey, I made a mistake. Oh, my gosh, the supervisor's watching. I'm going to be in trouble. And let that ruin the way you officiate the rest of the game. The good officials can realize they made a mistake and instantly get over it move on to the next play. And that's what we try and teach our officials is that learn from the mistakes, but move on to the next play. So being consistent on one end, we just want them to make sure that they're going to be consistent on the other end also. Yeah, and that's hard to do, and that takes time to build, like you were saying. I think experience helps and training. Um, Talk about courage. Talk about you know, it's a it's a tied game. You're playing, and and you may you have to make a tough call, or you, you don't make a call. You swallow the whistle, I guess. I mean, big part of officiating, right, Andy? Is you better have the courage to make that call with five seconds on the clock. 
Well, it is, and, and it's you know it's based upon the, how the whole game is called. If you want to be consistent, you got to be consistent until the final horn. Um, and, and a foul is a foul is a foul, and a foul that's called in the first quarter, and you see the exact same kind of scenario with two with uh, thirty seconds to go in the game, then you need to call that a foul. I mean, if you're ruling it as a foul in the first quarter, it's got to be a foul in the fourth quarter. It's just common sense. So uh, the term swallow your whistle, uh, we don't want to use that. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean a, a play is a play. The coach is a term. Play, you know, and, uh, yeah. and it, if, if it, uh, uh, you know, there's been instances where, uh, I've heard officials say, well, it would have to be a real train wreck for me to call a foul here or this. Well, if you think about it, if you're changing the way that you're judging the play, then you're being unfair to one of the teams. Because unofficially, now they can take advantage of a rule in the fourth quarter that you weren't allowing them to take advantage of in the first quarter. Now, that's not being consistent. Am I right? I mean, it, if you're yeah. consistent from one of the start of the game to the end. So, you know, we want the contact or the, the determination about whether it's a foul or not to be based upon uh, the contact that takes place and, and the level at which you have allowed play to take place in the entire game. So by saying that, um, and by the same token, if, if let's say you had a real hard, play at the basket lots of contact and so forth and you ruled that as a foul on a defender on a player trying to attend a basket and then the fourth quarter you had the same kind of thing then we'd expect you to make the same kind of determination but by the same token if you had a player in the fourth quarter that was um, um, very light contact not the same kind of contact, then no, we don't expect you to have a similar determination on that play. Uh, it just depends. But it all goes down to consistency. And like you mentioned, Kevin, is that there's, there's no substitute for experience. Uh, be in some place and, and making determinations about rules and about being able to, to work with people, there's no substitute for experience on that. Uh, it not only that, but the fact that you deal with players, you deal with coaches, you make rulings, and you get those correct, it makes you build confidence. And confidence is a great thing in officiating too. Not, not you don't want to be controversial now, but you do want to be confident in what you do. So it's a it's a very interesting business to be in, for sure. Yeah, you mentioned a great point. Because um, I always look at referees sometimes, and it's like, you know when they're confident, but I've also seen referees who are arrogant. How do you train your officials to be confident without being arrogant? Oh, man, that, you talk, that's a difficult. If I had the magic potion for that, I'd be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, sometimes confidence uh, breeds arrogance, uh, just as human mm -hmm. nature. But what you have to do 
as a person in an administrative role is make sure that they always keep their feet on the ground because you're only one bad call away from coming back to earth, you know? So you, you got to weigh all that and, and try and tell these officials that, <clears throat> uh, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great right now. Let's see how you are next week because you don't ever know what could happen between now and next week. But, but arrogance is, is a bad quality in official. I, uh, and that's one of the things, like I told you earlier, is that I always appreciated and, and valued whenever a written report would come out on me, and there were many, that a, a coach would say, uh, even though I'm, he may, the coach may say, hey, he missed a call here, missed a call there, and so on and so on. But Andy has no ego, and so he's easy to work with. And I, and I didn't. I, I made point going to the game. I am not the smartest guy in the stadium, okay? I'm just the guy that's kind of going to try and help that uh, to get us managed through this game and in the fairest way possible determine an outcome. That, that's all I was trying to do. I wasn't saying I knew more than anybody else, uh, the smartest guy in the arena. No, sir, that's not me. I'm just here to try and manage the game. And obviously. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential. Actually, I, I, I don't think being arrogant is a good quality and official. You, you can't do that. Uh, coaches, again, are here. This is their livelihood. Uh, it's not my livelihood. My livelihood is in the insurance business. I do this because I enjoy it and because I think I'm pretty good at it or I, 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 when I was officiating. But it was always a challenge uh, to me, and it was good for my health. And so those are the reasons I officiated. But yeah, arrogant, no way. They, you just can't do that. Yeah, I guess it's – and it's the same thing for us coaches. I, I get a lot of coaches that listen to this, Andy, and they're really going to appreciate your insight. And um, so far, you've really helped us kind of get a better insight into how officials think. Do you respect the coaches and players, and therefore you garner the coaches' respect? Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, again, that's one of the things I went back whenever I was working with a coach. Uh, on the sidelines, it was always Coach Smith or Coach Furtado, whatever the name was. I would never, ever address you as Kevin uh, when I was officiating a game because it's not professional. It's just not. And so uh, and when I dealt with players, I was never arrogant. I was never ugly with players. Now, sometimes players may say something ugly to me or be arrogant with me, but I was always professional with players, and I would always 
I didn't call them by their name. I always said number 34 or whatever their number was. And so I tried to keep that, that spacing there. That was made things remain professional between an official and a coach or official and a, a player. I tried to do that all the time. But um, I always had great respect for uh, uh, players and coaches. And I've seen some really good coaches and I've seen some really good players. Uh, in my days of doing this, and and uh, anyway, that's it. And yeah, how? Give us an example. Give us a story because I know you referee for quite quite a long time. Give us a story that you really said, man. I really that that coach really respects the officials, respects the players. Give us a story from all your experiences that really embellishes that. Um. Okay. Um, probably 15 years ago, there was uh, a game, and I was at Rutland High School. That's a high school in Macon. Mm-hmm. And, and I forgot who they were playing. It wasn't a normal region game. It was a team. I don't remember the name of the team they were playing, and it was a girls' game. And there was a late in the game, in a very close game. Um, there was a player, uh, uh, I'm sorry, an official made a ruling, not myself, but made a ruling about a travel or something that happened against that team. And now the ball was going to go over to the other team. And that coach called timeout. And I was over in the vicinity area, and the player in the huddle was maintaining. I didn't travel, coach. I didn't travel. I swear I didn't travel. And the coach, uh, bless him, he said, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's what the call was made. So now we got to react to that. So now we're going to play this. And he went on to set up his defense uh, in order to stop that team from scoring and so forth. And it was a very close game. And I don't remember who won the game. But I just remember I had a lot of respect for that coach because a lot of coaches now kind of jump on the bandwagon of, yeah, that official is terrible. Or that official, he did cost us a game. Well, that's not what we're here for. And that's not what the coaches are there for. That's not what the players are there for. Uh, uh, the big, the game of basketball is, is uh, high school basketball is you want to teach people how to be good people and teach people how to react to adverse situations. And it's not about all about the making the baskets. Sure, you know, the best players make the most points and that kind of, all that stuff. And, that, and that's great. And the best players get the college scholarships and that's great, that, that's, that's all good. But the big picture uh, for the vast majority of players is that how am I going to, coaches should ask, how am I going to teach that person to be a better person for the rest of his life. And that's what National Federation and high school sports is really all about, Phil. Yeah, that's a great point. And <laughs> I hate to ask you this. I mean, are do you what do you see more of? <laughs> I hate to have you quiz you on that, but you probably see more of the negative, I'm assuming. You know, I think that nowadays is that maybe we're automatically programmed to just look for the negative. And I don't like that. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I try, 
I really, really want to look for the good. I want to try and find the positive stories because I think they have so much more value uh, than the negative ones. Uh, We're inundated throughout our life in this day and time with negative stuff. And I think that's because negative stuff sells newspapers and television ads and so forth. Look at this person. He's bad. Please agree with me and and buy this product that we're advertising. I I don't like that. I'd I'd much rather hear a story, a feel-good story about somebody that persevered through a a time of trials and and actually turned out on the good side of things. I I don't know. I, I wish that I didn't look for the negative in people. And I try not to, Kevin. Right, right. And you're definitely, I mean, and the one thing I remember, uh, Andy, it was a long time ago because I, I of course, referee in the Georgia, uh, GISA, as you recall. Um, I remember re- just one particular situation where you always came by, um, whether it was me or the other coach, and spoke to us. You were trying to build that connection, that relationship. You always had good words to say. And I think that's really important during a game to stay in touch with the coaches professionally in the right way and be courteous. Exactly right. And, and part of our, uh, in Georgia high school and, and with the blessings of Ernie Arborough is that uh, this is something that we developed. That's not necessarily in the rule book is that, uh, let me give an example is that the, the rules require that the starting lineup and the, roster for each team be turned in 10 minutes prior to the start of the game so as the officials are out there and the officials are required to get there at 15 minutes before the game and so at about 12 minutes maybe 11 and a half the referee is to go across the court and go to the scorekeeper and say hey we have we got rosters have we got starting lineup and you know the vast majority of the time oh yeah here it is and they will turn around check it and so on and when he gets through with that, he'll then go and greet the visiting coach and tell him who he is. Hey, I'm Andy Cowart. My umpires tonight are going to be and introduce them, whoever they might be, and then tell him that we're going to meet at the three-minute mark and bring your captains. Now, that's going to change this year because you can only bring one captain to the circle. So don't, you can't have more than one captain. And that's because of this COVID-19 and so forth. And okay, all right. That's a change. So uh, uh, anyway, okay. and that'll be in the rules clinic that, that I do. But at any rate, he'll go to the other coach, the home coach, and tell him exactly the same thing. And right off the bat, you've kind of developed, I wouldn't say a relationship, but you've already started some some speaking and talking back to each other that, hey, I'm so-and-so, oh, yeah, and shake hands, hey, good to see you, and so forth. My umpires are this. We're going to meet at the three-minute mark, and do you have any questions? And it already starts a rapport with the coaches, and then we meet with the coaches at the three-minute mark and the captains and so forth. And And then, again, with the approval of the Georgia High School Association, um, the umpires that didn't get a chance to, they're going to go over and shake hands with the assistant coaches of the visiting team than the assistant coaches of the home team because the referee's already done all that in the early meeting. And so that gives everybody an opportunity to say, okay, hey, this, I'm, I'm Andy, uh, good to see you and so forth. It starts to build a rapport. 
I think it's been helpful in certain situations to do that. Um, I think that uh, it's yielded positive results. And anything that could help the rapport between coaches and officials is good. I always felt like I had a good rapport, Kevin. I I was, uh, again, I had no ego. I wasn't arrogant. I was just trying to do the right thing. And I think that's, for the most part, that's what coaches want. Coaches don't want you to lean one way or the other on a call. They just, they just want to be respected, and they want a fair shake on the game. That, I believe that. And so I did my best to try and do that. And I, I can even use the word, because I, I, I hate to say this word, de-escalate, but a big part of officiating is de-escalating conflict, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that's hard to do. And that's, a, that's I don't know, I, I guess that can be trained. I'm sure you're trying to train that, but that's a human quality. I mean, talk about that, Andy. Well, and again, it, different officials have different types of personalities. Um, I, as me, as an example, I, I'm in the sales business. Um, I sell insurance. And so, I'm not going to make many sales if I'm arrogant. That's just, <laughs> True. I, I'm not. And so you can't be, you got to be somewhat respectful and, and understand the big picture, but you got to be respectful of people and, and you've got to be able to deescalate situations. I talk to customers sometimes that are disgruntled. I, I had one last week that was disgruntled about a particular thing and so forth. And you do the best that you can with all the knowledge that you have to uh, undo the disgruntlement, if that's a good word. Uh, <clears throat> I think sometimes at the very end of the day, one of the things I say to a customer is, what would you like for me to do? You just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll tell you whether I can do it or not. Well, a similar thing in, in officiating is that that you've got to grab hold of what's the sense of right and wrong. Now, I've seen all kinds of unsportsmanlike conduct from, I, I've had a coach throw a chair at me. Um, and that was a situation where the fans really, really uh, got kind of crazy on that one, luckily. There were some other coaches in there. It was a sub-region tournament. And there were some other coaches in the area that helped to de-escalate what was going on. Um, that was a, a scary situation. I've had players that would spit on another player. and you, I know that may sound crazy, but I've seen it several times. And a player that gets spit on, naturally, he wants to fight. That's a fighting situation. <clears throat> So you do everything you can to try and, and uh, <clears throat> de-escalate that kind of thing from going on. That's a big part of being an official is, is knowing how to make things get toned down a little bit. So that's a, that's a valid point. Yeah, and uh, I guess you, you, you train through experience. So when you're training your referees, I guess you can't – it's hard to simulate that. They have to be in live action. So tell me what you're doing with your officials. I think you're one of the best trainers. I see you all over the place, consulting, training referees, always looking 
to uh, get referees better. Give me a specific tactic that you would uh, tell your referees maybe to employ. Um, every year, the Georgia High School Association has uh, about 12 training camps on college sites throughout the summer where that's the situation where there would be numerous teams that would go there and participate in scrimmages. And then we would have an officials camp there where we would assign officials to go and referee those scrimmages. And it's worked out really well. And it's a great uh, training seminar. Some of the things that we've done uh, to enhance that is about six or seven years ago, I started putting walkie-talkies on the officials. And so uh, the person that is doing the evaluate, I would form a staff that would evaluate these officials in these game situations. And the person have a walkie-talkie with a earbud, and uh, we wouldn't want them talking back to the clinician, but we want the clinician to be able to tell them during live action, hey, Kevin, you need to close down at the slot. And they know what all this means. Or you're too far out at the trail. Or whatever we would do to make them realize right then, we want you to be in this position when we get that up. Right. Or if they made a call that was incorrect, look, you had to block charge. Think about it right now. I don't think that the person obtained legal guarding position or whatever the term might be. So we've used that tactic. About three years ago, we decided, or I did, uh, some, all these camps are, are run by different people and do different things. I purchased uh, cameras uh, that are on glasses. And so the officials actually wore glasses that had a camera attached to them. And that camera would take, a, of course, take video of what exactly what they're looking at. And so during after the games, uh, training games, we would take that video and put it on a TV screen separated in three pay, uh, three uh, separate spots on it and time it up together so that everybody was looking on the court. We could see where they were looking at any point in the game. Now, that's important because officials are taught to look at particular people or particular areas, rather, depending upon the placement of the ball. So it, it's a a training tool to teach them, hey, the ball's in your area. Why are you looking off the ball? If the ball's in your primary coverage area, you should be focused on the ball. And those are just terms that we use and training things that we use to make people get better. Um, I, I have a sense. I, I, I just have a desire to help everybody become better at this. Um, and I think some of these new things that we do, um, that may not be perfect, but we're trying. We're trying to make officials get better. We've had great results, a great commentary back from the officials. They liked it. Uh, kind of changes things up from just the normal go there and referee and, and be evaluated and leave. So uh, we've tried to uh, become more technical. How about that? Uh, in our use of doing stuff. And then uh, we're looking at some other things for the future. I love the glass camera. So you are getting pretty high tech, Andy. I don't know what you said earlier. I love the glasses. I think I saw that might have been at Georgia College. I think you were experimenting with those, I think. 
when we went to team camp there on that. So that that's awesome right there to kind of see, um, you know, really the eyes uh, where they are looking, or are they distracted? Is that what you saw? Kind of maybe referees get distracted or just looking in the wrong spots. You know, the, the, the manual, and we have officials manuals that go beyond the rules. They train officials about where to look when. And so if they're not following those guidelines, it shows up in that video. Okay. And so I can tell them, right off the bat, hey, that ball was in this position and you were looking at that position. Wrong. Mistake. Mistake. Oh, by the same token, if they do something correctly, we like to feel like we pat them on the back for it, too. So the glasses thing was, I, I, I don't know if any others do. I think Doc Sisk up at Banks County, he may have been doing those glasses, too. But we found those to be extra helpful in, in uh, training our officials because – <laughs> Again, right after the game is when those pictures are put together and looked at instantly after the game. And so those officials can say, look at that play, and, and it's exactly what they're looking at. It's exactly what their eyes see. So you can say to that official, now look at that. All right, now tell me why you ruled that to be a block when it's obviously a charge. And they can look at that and say, that's what I saw. Why did I rule it a block? I mean, that, it gives them instant feedback. And that's been a good thing. And I think coaches that are at the camp see that you know, we're making an effort uh, to, to get better. We want to get better, too. We don't want to make mistakes. And I think that's appreciated by coaches. Yeah, I love that. And I'm thinking, you know, I personally think us coaches – um, cause I speak to coaches all over the country and I'm always trying to learn and get better. I don't think we are critical enough on us. I think we look at our players. I think we have to look at ourselves and see, first of all, obviously how our team's being executing, but also how are we acting on the sideline? How are we acting with officials? Cause I think to be honest with you, us coaches escalate a lot of issues. Talk about that. Um, you know, I, I, it's my early days don't uh, don't stay with me very very well anymore. But you know, the <laughs> last the last number of years of my officiating, I, Kevin, I just didn't run into a lot of controversy with coaches, and that may have been a product of, of respect for me. And that I'd been around a long time. And not only that, is that I did a pretty good job. Maybe they recognize, say, okay, Andy's here. Everything's going to be okay. I hope that that's how they felt. So I didn't run into that. But I have seen games in the role I'm in now um, as a liaison for basketball uh, where coaches are just totally out of line. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and officials now don't do a good job by stopping that. Uh, you can stop. They don't have to be out of line. You can stop it. The officials can, they have the tools now that they can stop all that stuff. But for whatever reason, they don't choose, you know, they, they choose not to do that. Uh, that's most unfortunate. But <clears throat> I'm just, I'm, I wonder if coaches really 
know the impact that they have on players. It's not so really the effect it has on officials or things like that, but when you're being disrespectful as a coach or escalating a situation, what are you teaching your players? And what are you teaching your fans or the students of your school that are there watching that if you scream and yell and complain loud enough, then... Hi, this is Kurt Gilsdorf, Clackamas Community College Women's Basketball, formerly Oregon City High School Girls Basketball. And as a veteran coach, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things to listen to, somewhere I can improve my coaching. And I've discovered the Championship Vision podcast from Kevin Furtado, and it has become my number one go-to podcast each and every week. Kevin brings in guests that provide a unique perspective, whether it's on X's and O's, philosophy, drill work, whatever it might be. Uh, He's going to get something out there that's going to help me as a coach get better. And I think that's what we should all be doing as coaches is helping each other get better. Uh, Kevin himself is is always hungry to learn. You can sense that in his podcast. And so, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Championship Vision Podcast. Kevin Furtado, keep up the great work. You're going to get your way or something? I don't know. I don't know what's coming through society, but I – I never experienced – early in my career, I did. I, there was a lot of adversity with coaches and, uh, that, you know, learning the ropes and learning how to get along and so forth. But as time went by, uh, it became much, much easier. Yeah, and you mentioned to me the other day, you had a great point, <clears throat> you know, if Kevin Furtado's out of line, uh, how would you de-escalate that? And you mentioned about – um, you know, giving me a warning with a hand and so forth. And you actually said referees don't do enough of that. And also, hey, go to the, go to the, uh, you know, go to the table and say, hey, or, or, or give a warning, say next one's going to be a technical. Talk about how to stop that okay. or how to improve that situation. We've talked about that with officials on a number of occasions. And I stopped officiating high school basketball in 2010. And so this rule wasn't in place there. But at that point in time, you couldn't stop the game to warn a coach. Now you can. And that came about probably five years ago, maybe less. But they instrumented a rule in National Federation that said right in the middle of the game, right in the middle of play, you can actually blow your whistle and say, hold on here, and say to the coach, that is enough. I am not going to listen to that anymore. Here is your warning. And use that term. And then go to the scores table and say, that is an official warning on the home team bench or visited, whatever it is. It is the home team bench. And I want you to announce to the crowd that there is an official warning on the home team bench. And that way, everybody knows that we've had a warning. Because lots of times in the past, coaches will say, you never warned me. You never warned me. When, in fact, they did warning, but it wasn't an official warning. Like they may put their hand up with a stop sign and say, hey, stop. But now what we're doing is we're making so that everybody knows. Yeah, you were warned at 628 in the second quarter. And that's noted in the book and announced on the, on the uh, speakers that, hey, you've been warned. Now, that's really, truly a big break to you because you've, we've stopped the game, we've given you a warning, but there's no penalty for it. You're not going to lose possession of the ball. 
and you're not going to get a technical file, we've kind of given you an extra opportunity before we do move to the technical file. Officials, for some reason, they're not taking full advantage of that. I don't know if they're just programmed to just not stop the game or whatever. In the past, uh, if I was warning an official, I probably had to do it on the run. In other words, there's a turnover and he screams, that's a walk, that's a turnover. And I'm trying to referee the game and I can't stop the game. So I just look at him and say, hey, coach, that's enough. Well, he could take that for whatever he wants it to be. He may take it for a warning. He may not. But now they don't have any excuse. You can stop the game. You can warn them. And that tells the coach, okay, if I get a technical foul after this, it's going to be on me because Andy has given me a warning. So I would take full advantage of that. I wish more coaches, uh, more officials did. Yeah, and I'm sure that's a big part of your training now and so forth, I'm sure. Hey, Andy, I know you're busy. I know you 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 uh, you want to sell more policy, so I know you gotta <laughs> gotta get away. Um, hey, talk about how can we get you know, we talked about this before too. We're losing officials and we need officials because we can't have officials. If we don't have we can't have games if we don't have officials. Why are we losing officials, and how can we gain more officials when they're younger? You know, Georgia High School is probably mm-hmm. better at this than some other states. Uh, our numbers are actually up. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some issues in certain areas of the state, but uh, a couple things come to mind. Number one, is the sportsmanship, particularly of fans. And you can you would be surprised. We had at a semifinal game this past February at Georgia College, we had a fan that attacked an official going off the court. Hmm. Now, that's unacceptable. Now, <clears throat> I was there at the site. I'm not to say I was the blame for Normally, we have police officers that immediately take control of those officials when they're exited in the court and prevent that from happening. Those police officers, for whatever reason, were attending to another issue in the arena at that time and weren't there. And I didn't get there in time to protect my officials. But that's neither here nor there. I didn't tell the state to come out of the stands and go do what she did. Uh, at any rate, we had a police report issued and so forth. And what's transpired from that right now, I don't really know. But those kinds of things will drive people. Nobody wants to be embarrassed or chased off a court or shoved or spit on or pushed. Uh, So that's the reason they're going away. Some others are uh, the pay. And we just, Georgia High School Association has uh, indicated we've got a pay raise this year for officials. Uh, It's the first time we've had one, I think, in four years. But that's a that's a good thing, so we're always glad. Um, sometimes uh, they don't feel the need to go to camps or do tests or that kind of stuff. Well, officiating is is part is like anything else. It's like teaching. You're in the education business. There are certain things you have to do in order to keep your teaching credentials. I'm sure, uh, continuing right. education or or taking another class or filling out forms or whatever you have to do. Well, the same thing in officiating that you've got to do certain things to keep your um, um, credentials current for officiating. Uh, 
So some of them don't want to do that. But we do have, uh, we're fortunate in Georgia to have our numbers up. Um, yeah, and another scary thing is this too, and you can go on YouTube and just Google, Google official attacks, I'm sorry, fan attacks official in basketball game. Just put that in the search engine and you'd be surprised at the number of videos you get where fans come out of the stands and attack officials. Now, that's a statement on society in general, I think. Yeah. Why, yeah. why, why is that acceptable? I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't what. How did we decide that that was OK to do that? I don't think we did. So that's some of the things that present ourselves. But again, we we feel fortunate in Georgia to be where we're at. And um, anyway, what else you got? Yeah, and I love that. And I, I think it's also up to the schools and the athletic directors to really man the games better and so forth and make sure this this that, and also make sure the crowd is well behaved because hey, something like that, I mean, you should be removing people from the game for improper behavior. That would solve it quick, wouldn't it? It would. You know, we uh, we uh Georgia High School uh, set up a rule mm, 15, 20 years ago. It's been a long in rule for a long time. Where when the game referee, when he arrives at the site, the site, the home team, is to provide him a game manager. Now that game manager is someone from the staff at the school. A lot of times it's the athletic director. So now we don't want it to be the coach or one of the teams competing or one of the assistants. Yeah. They've got business to do on the bench. We want somebody that's not involved with that game. And so, or sometimes it's a guidance counselor, whatever, but they have a game manager that's going to be at the court site. And so if a problem exists, uh, if it shows up, then we want that game manager to go and take care of that. We want our game officials involved with the game, the playing of right. the game. And let's get the block charges right, the travels right, and all that stuff. We don't want them to have to worry about fans coming out onto the court, which inevitably they do sometimes. So um, I, I don't know what you go and Google that, go and look at it. You'll see fans that just come out of the stands and go over and attack officials. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that has to be stopped big time, Andy. That that's oh, really yeah. a sad comment. That's a sad commentary on our society. Um, uh, Andy, my last question is this: uh, give give us some new rules that are being put in. And I, I'm assuming if it's being put in Georgia, it's probably being put in other states. But talk about the new rules and talk about how we be how we can become more pandemic proof for basketball. Okay. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this well, actually, it was just a trial theme in primarily the metro Atlanta area where we put in a thirty-second shot clock for um, games that were uh, of the invitational tournament type, like a holiday tournament or maybe a single-day event thing where multiple teams are there. We tried that. And the coaches committee brought forth a recommendation to the executive committee. And it's been improved on a three-year gradual implementation progress. So this year, they're going to allow the 30-second shot clock to be uh, optional at these tournaments uh, that take place around Christmas or even preseason or any mm -hmm. one-day event. So 
that and it has its own set of rules and um, uh, that's going to come out but it, it's going to be a 30 second shot clock that'll that's like college that you've got 30 seconds in order to attempt a basket um, we hope that uh, by year three it's going to be full time that's the uh, the plan that we have at this point uh, Georgia has been chosen as one of the three experimental states that are going to reset the team file count with the start of each quarter. In prior years, teams would shoot free throws for common files. Common files are, are the basic files. I use that term, so uh, not to get too far in everybody's head, but uh, <laughs> files like somebody on, on the ball handler or those kind of things. A common file is a foul of someone that's not in the attempt of a basket and that kind of stuff. So in the past, on the fifth, uh, um, seventh team foul of a half, then uh, the player would shoot a one plus one. And on the tenth foul of a half, the player would shoot automatically two free throws. And that's been that way, Kevin, for a long, long time. Am I right? I mean, it's been that way as long as yes. Okay. Yes. Georgia is going to experiment to have the foul count reset with each quarter, not each half. Mm-hmm. And so in the first quarter, for example, you would shoot the one and one on the sixth team foul in the first quarter and the double bonus, the two shots, on the eighth team foul. And those six okay. and eight were – you know, arbitrarily picked by the National Federation's basketball committee, and that's what the quarterback. And then the foul count would reset at the start of the second quarter. I'm talking about the team fouls, not fouls on players. So if Team A had seven team fouls in the first quarter, they would start the second quarter with zero team fouls. In the past, that total team foul count would carry over from quarter one to quarter two. So we, sure. we think it's going to speed up the game. We think it's going to uh, stop us from shooting a lot of free throws that uh, uh, slow down the game. Uh, and we think it's just going to be a good thing all around. Yeah. Then, I, I, what, that's was good. Thing, Kevin, Kevin, what was the other thing you were wanting to know oh, about COVID-19? And the yeah, pandemic. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the Georgia High School Association, they follow the guidance of the governor's office and the guidance of the National Federation office, and that goes into a committee, a sports medicine or some other committee within the GHSA that makes recommendations about how they're going to do things and so forth. And so they've got other policies and procedures from other agencies that they have to look at. I don't know that because um, we nobody knows. We don't we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know, Kevin. I don't know. Right. Uh, we're at this point. We're planning on a successful basketball season. As you well know, the football season has been uh, delayed by two weeks. Right. And right. That that GHSA is aware of that, and and um, that's going to push the state into I think that would be after Christmas if I'm not mistaken which is going to be later on the calendar I think that that is um, um, 
we know that that's going to affect some of these schools that have players that are really good athletes in both sports of football and basketball, but that was voted on by a committee within the GHSA. And so that's the uh, ruling that is going to take place on this. I, as far as basketball is concerned, we had a, a um, clinic of this or training program last Saturday. Uh, some officials may be using masks and that's going to be allowed. Uh, some mm-hmm. officials may use electronic whistles. That's a whistle that's blown by your you know, by thumb you carry in your hand. And okay. the big thing that concerns officials is the handling of the ball, and then you handle the whistle and you put the whistle in your mouth. And right. the transfer of fluid and whatever have you uh, that seems to be evident within this for this virus. And again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about viruses or anything, but the spread of it is something that concerns all officials too. So that's where we're at on it. Uh, it's like with everything else on this virus, I think it's a wait and see proposition because I don't know. You don't know. We're just going to try and do the best that we can. Yeah. That's interesting. You say about the officials and the whistles. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. There's so many ways. I think we're, I mean, Eric, there's so much fear out there right now, and that's just kind of probably generating more fear, but it's probably legit. I mean, people um, just just today, you know, the Marlins, Florida Marlins, uh, you know, their whole team's pretty much quarantined now. How does that affect their next games? And now they're trying to figure that out. I mean, it's, it's going to be very interesting coming up this year. <laughs> it's, it's not sports as it like it used to be. You know, that, no, no, that, we got to be prepared. Yeah. You know, we were just so fortunate in Georgia. Our last state championship games this past uh, spring or winter, rather, late winter, were on March the 7th. That was on a Saturday. And then everything kind of came tumbling down on March the 11th. That's when the second round of the SEC tournament got canceled. And then right. the day so the NCAA tournament got canceled and all the other conference tournaments got canceled. And then within a week or two, spring sports got canceled with domino effect. And so, uh, again, we just we don't know what's going to happen. We, I, all I would do is the best we can do and life goes on. That's all we can do. That's all, that's all you can do, absolutely. Andy, I really appreciate you sharing with us um, – you're going to help out a lot of coaches, and uh, hopefully there might be some people who are interested in officiating. Uh, would you have some advice to somebody who wanted to to become a high school official or a high school official, hey, man, I want to, I want to referee at the college level like you. Just give a – what are some advice you can give them really quick to kind of get started? I think, you know, just make a decision about what you want to do. If you're interested, you can contact a local association. Or you can email me. My email address is, it's my name. It's A-N-D-Y-C-O-W-A-R-T. No caps, or no spaces, anything like that. And that's Andy Cower at windstream.net. Wind like from a tornado stream like a small river. Windstream.net. And if you get it to me, I can make sure and send it to the appropriate person. But Kevin, before I close, I want to say what a uh, a blessing has been to get to know you 
And uh, you've always been a real advocate for uh, officials and coaches, always been very gracious to me. And, and I want you to know that doesn't unappreciate uh, Just uh, your, your sense of uh, passion for high school basketball, is, I think, is unparalleled in Georgia, to be honest with you. Talked about that and how passionate you are about basketball. And it shows with everything that you do and everything that you promote. And I just want to say thank you for that. And yeah, that's a, that's a high compliment coming from you. Cause I think you're one of the best. Uh, you're also a first class person as well. I know you always help me out at my clinic. You're always willing to help other coaches and referees. So you are definitely a credit to our industry. So Andy, thank you so much, man. I wish you the best. So have a great day there in Milledgeville. All right there. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, coaches. This is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado.